0: Good singing tonight, amen, good to be in church in the middle of the week, what a blessing. Well if you have your Bibles tonight, 1 Samuel chapter number 22, moving right along through the book of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter number 22. And we will go ahead and read. I know we preached the first uh, five verses last week. But I'll go ahead and we'll read the chapter today. You can stand if you can. 1 Samuel chapter 22, the Bible says here, verse 1, David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave of Dulem. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down, thither to him. And everyone that was in distress, and everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was discontented... Must have been a Baptist meeting, amen. Gathered themselves unto him, and he became a captain over them. And there were with him about 400 men. And David went thence to Mizpah of Moab. He said unto the king of Moab, Let my father and my mother, I pray thee, come forth and be with you till I know what God will do for me. And he brought them before the king of Moab, and they dwelt with him all the while that David was in the hold. And the prophet Gad said unto David, Abide not in the hold, depart and get thee into the land of Judah. Then David departed and came into the forest of Herath. When Saul heard that David was discovered, and the men that were with him, now Saul abode in Gibeah under a tree, and Ramah having his spear in his hand, and all his servants were standing about him. You talk about room service, man. Verse 7 says, Then Saul said unto his servants that stood about him, Here now, you Benjamites, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards and make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds, that all of you have conspired against me. And there is none that showeth me that my son hath made a league with the son of Jesse, and there is none of you that is sorry for me, or showeth unto me that my son... Has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as at this day. Then answered Doeg the Edomite, which was set over the servants of Saul, and said, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob to Ahimelech the son of Ahitub, and he inquired of the Lord for him, and gave him victuals, and gave him the sword of uh, the sword of Goliath the Philistine. Then the king sent to call Ahimelech the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all his father's house, the priests that were in Nob. And they came all of them to the king. And Saul said, Here now, thou son of tub." And he answered, Here I am my lord. And Saul said unto him, Why have ye conspired against me, thou and the son of Jesse, and that thou hast given him bread and a sword, and hast inquired of God for him, that he should rise against me to lie in wait as at this day? Then Ahimelech answered the king and said, And who is so faithful among all thy servants of David? Which is the king's son-in-law, and goeth at thy bidding, and is honorable in thine house. Did I then begin to inquire of God for him? Be it far from me, let not the king impute anything unto his servant, nor to all the house of my father. For thy servant knew nothing of all this, less or more. The king said, Thou shalt surely die, Ahimelech, thou and all thy father's house. And And the king said unto the footmen that stood about him, Turn and slay the priests of the Lord. Because their hand also was with David, because they knew when he fled, did not show it to me. But the servants of the king would not put forth their hand to fall upon the priests of the Lord. They had some sense. And the king said to Doeg, turn now and fall upon the priests. And Doeg the Edomite turned, and he fell upon the priests and slew on that day four score and five persons that did wear a linen ephod. That's 85 for us city slickers. Amen. And Nob, the city of the priests, smote he with the edge of the sword, both men and women, children and sucklings and oxen and asses and sheep with the edge of the sword. And one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Hitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar showed David that Saul had slain the Lord's priest. And David said unto Abiathar, I knew it that day, when Doeg the Edomite was there, that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of thy father's house. Abide thou with me. Fear not, for he that seeketh my life, seeketh thy life. But with me thou shalt be in safeguard. What a tremendous chapter. What a sad account of what happens to all the Lord's priests there. Not only the whole family of Himluck there, 85, that wear a linen ephod there, but of course the whole city of Nab all wiped out. So you can see the lunatic fringe is on the loose and Saul's out of his ever-loving mind. So we need help in this chapter. Dad, would you ask the Lord's help in preaching tonight? Now David, of course, as you know, he's been anointed since 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 11 and 12. But there remains an imposter on the throne. His name Saul. And you see, the Lord, he's now left Saul to his own devices. You know this, that an evil spirit has now come upon Saul. And you thought you were bad with the Holy Spirit. Amen. This fellow gets a, an evil spirit from the Lord. He's left his own devices. And now it's only a matter of time before the imposter is killed in battle. Likewise, at Calvary, the Lord forever whipped the devil in the battle between earth and ownership. Jesus Christ is the one true king sent by His Father to kill the very thing that was killing us. Sin. But like David... Jesus Christ remains in exile until the day appointed by the Father. And here on this earth, like Saul, lies an imposter that rules this world. Even though Jesus Christ owns it, one day he's going to come back and get what's rightfully his. Amen? And that's going to be a day. And I pray to God that I'll be with him when he comes back on a white horse with him. Amen? You say, you just want to cut off some heads. Amen. So should you. <laughs> because then I'll be in my right mind, I won't have PTSD, I won't have to get psychology for it, I'll be perfect like the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'll be just a good time, amen? You say you're weird, just a little bit, amen? But David, now he remains in exile, and I'd like to just maybe draw some contrast and some similarities here tonight, maybe give you a few thoughts. I've, I've got a long way to go in a short time to get there, amen? But I've got a lot to say but I want to give you some differences here tonight, and I, if you're going to title this thing, it'd be an imposter on the throne and a king in exile. I'd like to get through this chapter today, and I want to start here by preaching just a little bit about this imposter. And this thing's very practical, very, very practical. The stuff that Saul does, if you're not careful, it can pop up in your Christian life, and even though you're not, I mean, you're saved and you're not lost, man, you sure can act like an imposter, amen. We're sons of God, the Bible says. Uh, and many has received him to them, gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And as a son of God, I think you would probably agree, and even if you don't, it's still the truth, we should have the behavior that becomes a royal member of the family. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> I look out here around, I was watching a part of a football game the other day and fell asleep a few minutes into it. But I look at some of these athletes and they are the real deal, man. It is so easy to get up and criticize professional athletes You know, look at all them. They look like a stinking, you know, Crayola, you know, marker hit them and all that stuff. But you you put all that junk aside, and the fact that most of them are probably lost in need Jesus Christ, they are the real deal in what they do. You say, why are they the real deal? Well, they count calories, number one. They exercise nonstop. Everything they do is limited, and everything they do is watched. And when they get up to play and perform, they do a great job. They're the real deal. And I'll often wonder in my Christian life why many times Christians or maybe just look at myself in the mirror, why do I not appear to be the real deal? Sometimes I feel like an imposter. And it's just because I probably don't watch the things like I should, as carefully as I should. I want to preach just a little bit about this imposter. You know it's what King Saul. But let's walk through this passage quickly if we can. And the uh, first thing I want to show you about this imposter on the throne is uh, in verse 6. Real simply, uh, he has a tendency to believe what he hears. He has a tendency to believe what he hears. Uh, I'll just draw your attention to the first three words here. First Samuel 22, 6. When Saul heard. He said that ain't much there. I know, but it's just a thought came to my mind as a Christian. you got to be careful what you hear. you got to be careful how much stock you put in what you hear. Amen? Uh, every time you get up in the morning and you turn on the television or whatever it is, the mode of communication... You have to be careful what you hear. you got to be careful how much, uh, actually, belief you put in what you hear. And I see Saul, he's an imposter, and he has a tendency just to believe what he hears. And uh, uh, the old man, he said it like this. I'll probably get it wrong. He says, says, you need to ignore most everything you hear and half of what you see. (laughs) That's what he said. Now, I don't know how much, uh, if uh, all that's true or most of it's true, but that's a good place to start. Amen? You need to be careful about what you hear. Acts chapter 17, verse 20, talks about the Athenians, a great picture of Christianity today. And these Athenians, they spent their time, 1721, Acts 1729, in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Man, I run into Christians like that, and so do you. They just can't wait to. Did you hear? Did you hear? Stop it. I don't want to, I don't want to hear about that junk. Amen? you got to be careful what you hear. Oh, be careful little ears what you hear. If you're not careful, you'll be the imposter on the throne. You'll be governed by what you hear instead of what's absolute truth. Uh, Jeremiah uh, chapter 10 verse 23, a familiar verse. We've quoted it several times. The Bible says, "Oh Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself, it is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. What happens is you get a hold of what you hear, and if it lines up with what you like, you get in a rut. You gotta be careful with what you hear. Why? You have to remember that you are not smart enough to run your own life. Amen. Have you figured it out this week yet? <laughs> Ma'am, just at the time you think you got a hold on something, you don't. You're like, what happened? And the Lord's like, the Holy Spirit's like, you ain't got enough sense to, you know, back out of the driveway in, in, in reverse. You can't direct your own steps. Got to be careful what you hear. But notice that Saul, he just heard it. There's something he heard. You say, well, according to the passage, it looked like it was right. You might be right sometimes. But a lot of times when you hear stuff, if you're inclined to believe it, you're going to be dead wrong. You've got to be careful what you hear. I notice here, number two, an imposter, you know what he does? He believe, has a tendency just to believe what he hears. But he uh, here in verse uh, 6 to 8, an imposter superimposes his own wickedness on others. An imposter, he's one who, this isn't going to be alliterated. This is just, sorry about that. I like to try to be alliterated. This just was not happen. I'm not even going to worry about it. He superimposes his own wickedness on other men. Especially those that he dislikes. You ever stop and think that because uh, you have a problem with this, that everyone else must have a problem with it? That's why as a, uh, any kind of pastor or preacher has to be careful that he doesn't get up and just get in a rut. It's so easy to get in a rut. Why? Well, maybe you got a problem with it. I've heard some preachers all the, and all that. See, if I, I listen to preaching, this preachers. I won't say any names. Of course, it'd be, uh, it would be unwise and disrespectful. I always preach about the sodomites. I'm like, well, well, wait a minute. You say, well, it's wrong. Sure is. If we come across it, I'll hit on it and go. But I don't think we got any sodomites in here. Amen. Not only that, but if all I could ever preach about is against the sodomites, against the sodomites, maybe it's a red flag that there's a problem. Just likewise, you get a preacher who gets in a rut, about, and all he can do is preach how a woman should dress. Irritates the daylights out of me. You say, why is he doing it? He's he's holding up the standard. Or maybe he's got a stinking thinking problem. Maybe he's a pervert. And all he can do is dress about what you should have in your house and how you should dress and how you should conduct yourself as a, okay, all right, we get it. That's what God gave him a husband. That's why God gave him a father. already? Just like that. It's a sign that we need batteries. (laughs) (laughs) Man, it's easy to get in a rut. (laughs) You got to watch that stuff. Because you're not careful, you'll start superimposing the problems that you have on everybody else. And if you have a problem with dishonesty, you'll think everybody else is a liar. If you have a problem with your thoughts, you'll think everybody else is. Oh, look at verses 6 to 8. Notice this thing come right up and say hello to you. The Bible says, when Saul heard that David was discovered and the men that were with him, now Saul bowed and gave under a tree and Ramah, having a spear in his hand. Like holding, you know, probably holding, sitting there like having a, like a scepter in his hand, you know. Here I am king, hear me roar. You know That's why I see him. He, he's, he's around the big old oak tree there. Got all his men around him. I mean, room service on demand. You know what he's doing? He's superimposing the fact that he wants David dead upon the entire situation. Nobody's after Saul. Nobody's after him at all. But yet every, everyone's like, it's, it's okay, boss, we got you. You see it? Everyone's around him. Okay, we've got to watch out here, three sentries out here, and the garrison's got you covered. Well, no one's after you, pal. You've superimposed your own wickedness on somebody else. You've got to be careful. That's what an imposter does. An imposter thinks that everyone else has the same problems that he does. If you gossip, you know what you think everybody else does about you? You think they gossip. Maybe they don't. What's the problem? The problem is your conscience is shot. And some people have a hard time talking to other Christians because they're always superimposing the way they think on them, and they probably don't have a clue what your problem is. I learned this firsthand way back in the truck driving days. I mean, I had uh, sometimes an hour between stops. I go from here all the way up to Petoskey, and then I go over to Charlevoix, and I come down and around through East, beautiful country. You know what I mean, East Jordan. And shoot over to Boyne City or Calcascar off that way. You know, just beautiful. And all of a sudden, the reality of having a long-term driving job sets in. And now you're falling asleep or bored. You know, they said that uh, old-timer says, oh, Idle Minds the Devil workshop. Sure is. Next thing you know, the devil gets up on your shoulder and goes, did you see the way that he looked at you on Sunday? And I go, well, you're right. He was kind of snooty with me. And by the time I got home, I had a problem with half the church. You say, why? I superimposed my own idiocy on everybody else. And then I go into church, I'm like, and they're like, hey, brother, good to see you. Right? And I'm like, yeah, sure, you're just, you're acting that way because we're in church. See what it did? You see what you do? That's an imposter. Superimposes his own wickedness on the other people's situation. Now notice this—he's pretending that there's a credible threat to his life in verse six when there wasn't. Just like Queen Athaliah, uh, 1 Kings chapter eleven—I'm sorry, First Kings eleven verse fourteen—you know she's the one that killed all the seed royal. She killed her grandbabies. She killed her sons. She killed everyone in line to the throne so she could be in charge. And you know what? The Lord got a hold of Jehoiada the priest. And put a plan together and you go get rid of that uh queen <laughs> and you go put her out. She, she done. And when all of a sudden she saw the tables had turned, she gets up, she goes, treason, treason, wait a minute, uh lady, you're the treasoner. And she's putting everyone she put she's blaming everybody else for treason. I just created a word, amen. <laughs> okay, dictionary.com. But an imposter superimposes his own wickedness on others. I hope you can see it. I'll give you number 3 I've got a long way to go. An imposter, you know what? <laughs> in verse 7, he just has to remind you of his rank. That's an imposter. He has to let you know that he is in charge. <laughs> you ever been there? Brother, sister, come on now. I know we're smaller than ever. You ever just have to remind somebody that... You're the boss. Now, hey, man, look at number seven. Better <laughs> work on that, brother. <coughs> look at verse seven. Man, this thing come right out and just punched me right in the nose. Now, notice he says, then Saul said unto his servants that stood about him, Here now, you Benjamites. I'm like, it's weird. And I got to thinking, well, Saul was from Benjamin, wasn't he? Again, Saul's superimposing what he would do in the situation on everybody else. And what's he doing? He's saying this. Is everybody else going to give you lands? Huh? Is everybody else going to promote you to a captain of a hundred? Anybody else going to promote you to captain a captain of thousand? You know what he's saying? Don't forget I'm the king. And if David gets in here, you're done because he's from Judah and he's going to run you all off. You see it? Not only is he superimposing upon David that David would do the same thing if David was king, which he didn't. You read David when he gets in, he's good to everybody. The Bible said he gave everyone a piece of flesh. To me, that's like a bunch of steak. We're good. And a flag and a wine. Grape juice. But he's superimposing his own wickedness. But at the same time, he's like, don't you forget I'm the king. And he reminds you of his rank. That's an imposter. When someone has to remind you that they're the boss, you know what that tells me? They're questioning whether they're the boss or not. If you have to remind someone that you're in charge, man, I I just... Now, I did a lot of that in my younger years because I thought as a man, I'm the man. Hear me, whatever. But you know, the more I read the Bible, God doesn't deal with you like that. He doesn't go up, I'm God! You know what He does? He lets you do your thing, doesn't He? And if you decide not to love him, he's like, I wish I wouldn't do that. Go ahead. Put some things in your pathway, eventually corral you back to himself, amen? And when you come back, he doesn't go, way to go, stupid. He goes, I'm really glad you're back. You see that at the end of the passage. But you got to be careful because the imposter is the one that has to remind you how long they've been in the ministry, how long they've been doing this, and how much of a benefit it is for you to be under my rule. That's an imposter. That's Saul. you got to watch that in the Christian life that you don't see what God has done for you and see how God has blessed you and then try to remind others That somehow your blessing or your calling makes you superior and over people. I'm not over anything except my family. Here's the thing. If you're a husband, you know this. People don't always follow. You say, well, it's my job. I have to lead. Yep, sure do. But what happens when they don't? Well, when they're young, you can handle that, right? But when they get to that special age of doing whatever they want, guess what? You keep leading whether they follow or not. You are commanded to lead. You are commanded to please Jesus Christ whether anyone follows you or not. As a pastor, I'm commanded to feed the flock of God whether anybody eats or not. You know what I'm not commanded to do? get irritated when nobody shows up. Because when I come to this pulpit, if I give that blast like, where have you been? That makes the sheep nervous. And I know this about a sheep. He won't eat if he's nervous. And the Bible says, he leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. He kicketh my tail through the pastures for his name's sake. Right? You can't go through life reminding everybody else who you are. That's an imposter. <laughs> Isn't that funny? <laughs> you have to write that one down, I guess. <laughs> but an imposter, he, uh, he reminds you of his rank. Amen? Now look at this number four. An imposter, he turns against his own. He turns against his own to secure his own loyalty. Look here in verse number 8. He turns on the very people that are risking their necks for him. And in verse 8, I want you to see what an imposter does. He says, that all of you have conspired against me. Liar. That's false. And there is none that showeth me that my son hath made a league with the son of Jesse. False. I mean, the covenant David and Jonathan made was for friendship. It was never to do evil against Saul. You see what I mean? He's a liar. He knows it. But he's turning on his own men, what? To hopefully secure the loyalty that he knows he does not deserve. Why? He's an impostor. And he says, and there's none of you that is sorry for me. You know, I read that, I'm like, what a pity party. Here he is, he's head and shoulders above everybody else. And he's like, nobody feels sorry for me. I'm like, "Oh, how could you even follow a guy like that?" I'm like, "Oh, embarrassing, man. Get it together." There's none of you that feels so, that that are sorry for me. Oh, to me is all. Oh. Or showeth unto me that my son hath stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait, as at this day absolute lying falsehood. Nobody is lying in wait against Saul. They're running for their lives. The real deal the guy that counts his calories, the guy that counts his workouts, the guy that devoted his whole life to serving the Lord. He's running away from that situation. He doesn't want to be a part of it. And here he is. Here's Saul. Here's the imposter. You know what he's doing? He's turning against his own men to try to secure the loyalty that he knows he doesn't deserve. So Saul is turning on his own. He's insulting them. You see it? He's insulting them. He's stirring it up, if you could say it like that, and he's picking a fight. You say, why would he do that in attempt to produce his own cause? The Bible says in Proverbs 18, 17, he that is first in his own cause seemeth just. I bet you after that monologue speech, he's like, I need to write that down. Man, that felt pretty good. Man, I've never felt more built up and edified in my life. Yeah, <laughs> you did it yourself, Goofy. So guess what happens? He insults everybody. He stirs it up. Amen? That's Proverbs 15.1. You know what Proverbs fifteen one is, right? Soft words, turneth away wrath. But grievous words, stir up anger. You got to be careful in the Christian life that you don't stir it up. Christians are notorious for stirring it up. And I know about you, but the old man told me, when you stir it, it stinks. And that's what the imposter does. He's stirring it up. Why? He's got to produce the cause. Why? There is no cause right now. He's producing his own cause, and he's an imposter. Saul's trying to get a feeling going against David, and guess what? It works because in verse 9, and this thing turns out to be the biggest pity party in the Bible. I believe next to Nabal in 1 Samuel chapter 25, where the Lord kills that sucker with a stroke. Pity party. But here's number five, an imposter. You know what he does? He attracts wicked, lying servants. That's 1 Samuel 22, 9 and 10. Bible says, Then answered Dog, the bounty hunter, no, the Edomite, Doeg the Edomite, which was set over the servants of Saul and said, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob to him elect the son of the high tub, and he inquired of the Lord for him. Liar, he didn't do it either. You see, he made it up and gave him victuals and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. Now, in verse 9, you see clearly that Doeg, he's a lying servant. He lies about a high tub. And Doeg's a wicked servant. You know what he's doing? You know exactly what he's doing if you think about it. He's looking for an opportunity to move up, he's looking for an opportunity to. Get the moolah. If he's the chief uh, herdman, the Bible says, he's looking for an opportunity to advance. He's going to be the, the head head chief, you know, hoof guy. That's why he's looking for an opportunity. But that's what an imposter does. An imposter, he attracts wicked, lying servants. And they've got an agenda. You've got to be careful about that. You've got to be careful about who you attract. Now notice this thing. He uh, is a wicked lying servant, looking for an opportunity, but he's a wicked lying servant because he has no problem in verse 18 and 19 slaughtering 85 priests of the Lord. I mean, suffice it to say, we don't have to explain how wicked and ungodly and grotesque and horrific that is. I mean, then you stop and think about it. Probably one of the reasons that he had no trouble in the sense where the servants of Saul had more brains because Doeg was an Edomite. And let me tell you what, and you better listen, Christian. Hidden within every family is a lifelong history of bitterness that runs through it like that yellow line runs right up Highway 55. And if you're not careful, that thing will run from Esau, Edom, the father of the Edomites, all the way up to Doeg, and every chance you can to get your brother down and whoop him You'll do it. That's an imposter. That's a wicked man. He's an Edomite. He kills 85. And not only that, but you know there in verse 19, complete annihilation of the city of Nob, men, women, children, sucklings, little babies. That's a wicked man. A sucker deserves to be in the lowest hell. Oxen, asses, and sheep. You see what they did? He went there and made it look like it was a spiritual deal. Because if he had just killed the men, he just killed the men and women, it would have been like a for-profit deal. But you go in there and you handle that thing like Israel went into the land. Then everybody goes, "Oh, what a great sin they must have sinned, because they destroyed everything." Take your Bible. Go to First Samuel chapter three. And I want to show you this. I know many of you know this. But this very instance, this very thing that we're talking about that took place, you know what that was? That was a fulfillment of prophecy. Remember when the Lord was trying to get a hold of Samuel as a little boy? Samuel, Samuel, he runs to Eli. Like, uh, you know, I hate talking to you. Go back to sleep, kid. Does that a couple times. And finally, Eli's got enough sense that you tell the Lord, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. Well, there in verse uh, chapter 3, verse 11, He says that he's going to say something that will make every ear in Israel tingle. And this is what he's talking about. Because that is the direct descendants from Eli. And Eli said, "I'm done with you, Eli. I'm done with your boys and what they've done to the people of Israel and how they're messing around with the women, how they made everybody abhor the sacrifice. I'm done with you. I've gave you enough chance, but you put your family before me. You didn't restrain them. I'm done with you. I'm going to wipe them out." And this is the fulfillment. And there's only one left, Abiathar. And you see, <coughs> at the end, sorry, at the end of the chapter, Abiathar ends up going and. Being with David, smart choice, because there's always safety in David, type of Christ. There's always rest in David, a type of Christ. Now we've got to keep moving here. I'll give you number six, An imposter disregards the word of God, 12 to 17. Verses 12 to 17, I want you to notice we won't read it again for sake of time, but the impostor, he condemns a high tub and all his family to death. You know how he does it. He does it without a fair trial, or any proper jurisprudence. Can, you can understand that he just—he was just wicked about it. He just—I mean, even the Bible set up parameters. I got a couple of references. I'll just read them to you here. Here in uh, where's it at? There it is. Deuteronomy seventeen six. The Bible says two witnesses or three witnesses. You've only got one. Saul's not a witness. You've got one fella, and he's not even telling the truth. The Levitical law, which Saul was very familiar with and knew it inside and out, said two witnesses or three witnesses to put anyone to death. Numbers chapter 35, verse 30 specifically says, Numbers 35, 30, One witness shall not testify against any person to cause him to die. See, what he's saying? An imposter disregards the word of God. But you know, Saul was pretty accustomed to doing that, wasn't he? If you go back, just give me one second to roll this thing out for you. In 1 Samuel 13, 13, he didn't do what the Lord told him to do. And Samuel said to Saul, thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God. He's supposed to wait for Samuel, right? And he didn't. He just wanted to be a priest so bad, didn't he? So what did he do? He acted like a priest. Nice job, Saul. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord. Two chapters later, First 1 Samuel 15, 26. He didn't follow the word of the Lord with Amalek. 1 Samuel 15, 26. And Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. Now Saul's got a bad history of disregarding the word, and he does it again, and he does it again, and he does it again. And now it occasions the death of everybody. Interesting enough, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 13, "...whoso despiseth the word shall be destroyed." Well, it's just a few days till 1 Samuel chapter 31, verse 6, and he dies in battle. You say, why? That, that man goes out because he rejected the word of God. You know what an imposter does? You see where I'm going with this. He disregards the word. The word's not important. Everything he has to do, everything he has to say... Every thought he has is elevated above the Word of God. There's no time for the Bible. There's no time for study. There's no time for the precepts. There's no time for principles. There's no time for meditation. Everything revolves around me. An imposter on the throne, what he'll do is he'll disregard the Word of God. Well, the time draws nigh until that long-awaited moment, 1 Samuel 31, 6, where Saul dies in battle, forfeiting the throne to its rightful owner, David. But before we close, I want to give you a couple more things here. I want to contrast the imposter on the throne with this king in exile. There's probably about two messages here, but I'll go quick. Let's look at the king in exile real quick. Now, while in exile here, number one, King David runs away from fighting his own brethren, verse 1 in the chapter. You find David running away from any type of conflict with his brethren. I got to hold this thing, man. I said, man. That's good. He purposely runs away from any type of conflict or fight with his own brethren. I'm like, I ain't even like that. I'm like, some days I'm like, just a good scrape would be good. And I'm thinking, you know, you think you're spiritual some days. Like, well, you know, if you're going to fight with somebody, you might as well fight with a brethren. No, 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 no. If you're going to be an idiot, be an idiot with somebody else, man. <laughs> But David, he would would get away from the situation. Eve, think about back to the Valley of Elah. He answers his own brother, is there not a cause? He didn't say, look, you're an idiot. He said, is there not a cause? And then the Bible says he turned from him. He didn't want to fight with his brother. And here in verse 1, you know what he does? He escapes to the cave. Why? He doesn't want to face his brethren. He doesn't want to have the opportunity to fight physically and be responsible for the death of his brethren or the hatred of his brethren or even yet hurting the Lord's anointed, Saul. You say, who's that? That's the king in exile. Never once does David fight against Saul. David continually avoids out of the present conflict even though he was right. Isn't it interesting sometimes because we have the truth, we have the King James Bible, and we know the Bible, and many of you know it very well, that sometimes we're prone to approach everyone that we're the answer. And like because we know we have the truth, and we know we have scriptural basis, and the Lord is so happy for what we're doing and how we're doing it, that we can just strike out against everybody else, and I'm right, and nobody else is right. Notice this number two, while in exile... I want you to see that men are drawn to the real king. Men are drawn to the real king. You do realize back in the other part where Saul is made king, you do realize that's all conscription, right? That's an old term mean they were drafted. They didn't have a choice. I look at here, these men that came to David, they had a choice. They came to David. The Lord moved those hearts of those men and they came to David. While David is in exile, you got to get a hold of that. But notice about these men they're stressed out men, they're bankrupt men, <laughs> they're unhappy men, and you and I would probably say they are the bottom of the barrel. Isn't that interesting? You know what you and I are? We're the bottom of the barrel. Amen? And when we came to Jesus Christ, we were all in debt, distressed, and discontented. And the Lord got nothing when He got you and me, amen? Ain't that the truth? And not only that, not only all that, but notice, it's just a few men. I mean, David's the real deal, right? hes I mean, he can... He can bend a bow of steel with his arm, with his hands. I mean, God is really on him like a fan. He's a warrior. He is anointed king. But it's just 400 men amongst the thousands of Israel. You say, what are you getting at? Men are drawn to him. They're not the greatest men in the world, amen? And it's not a bunch. But isn't it interesting at the end of David's ministry how many of those men the Bible says were mighty men? I guess the way we look at it and the way God looks at it is totally different. But I want you to see that God gave King David the ability to draw men while he was in exile. They went looking for him. You know, I, I, I know the, the Lord draws men, amen, amen, But the Lord wasn't one day, he didn't go, Oh, I got to go find Jeremy. So I'm going to do without Jeremy. (laughs) See what I mean? Same with you. You found him. But the real king, he's in exile and he has the ability to draw men. I'll give you another one here. While in exile, I want you to see that David the king, he's one who waits upon the Lord. He waits upon the Lord in verse 3. The Bible says, till I know what God will do for me. Notice in verse 3, David's not moving. Notice in da- uh, verse 4, David remains in the hold. And guess what? In verse 5, David finally gets his orders, which brings us to our next point. While in exile, King David listens to the prophet Gad while he's preaching. That's a pretty good one, verse 5. The Bible says, the prophet Gad said unto David, Abide not in the hold, depart, and get thee into the land of Judah. Then David departed and came into the land in the forest of Herod. So he's a prophet, and when he prophesies, he's preaching. And the preacher says, Abide not. You better get out of here. You better get out into the land of Judah. You know what David does? David listens. And then David acts upon it. The Bible says, Then David departed and came into the forest. I want you to realize and notice the contrast. While the imposter is busy disregarding the word and killing the preachers, that David is listening to the preacher and obeying God's words. That's the king in exile. That's the real deal. He's a man who loves the words of God and he loves the man of God. I'll give you number five. While in exile, I want you to notice that David, King David, he helps the man of God out in verses 20 to 23. Notice the, the brutal contrast between verses 20 to 23. While the imposter Saul, the imposter on the throne, he's holding the inquisitions. The king in exile says, If you'll allow me, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Notice verse 23, the Bible says, Abide thou with me, fear not. David's saying, fear not. You know what Saul's doing? He's putting the fear of him on everybody. He says, fear not, for he that seeketh my life, seeketh thy life, but with me thou shalt be in safeguard. David says, hey, look, I, I know what you're going through. And uh, they're after me too, but if you stick with me, we'll go places. You'll be all right. And while in exile, I want you to notice the real deal, the real king, he helps, he helps men out. Uh, while in exile here, I'll give you the next one here. King David is tender to the, toward those that are hurting. He's tender. He's considerate. He's tender towards those that are hurting. If you look in verse 22, and I'll say this, he even attempts to absorb the hurt and take responsibility for the hurt in attempt to heal those who are hurt. Verse 22, And David said unto Abiathar, I knew it that day when Doeg the Edomite was there, that he would surely tell Saul, I Owns right up to it. You see it? I have occasioned the death of all the persons of thy father's house. So as to take the burden off of that young priest right there, that young preacher, he says, Oh, it's not your fault. It's probably mine. What a guy. What a king. David could have spoken evil against Saul at that very moment, couldn't he? have? He could have said in a righteous indignation, wouldn't it God that he strike him dead? He'd be right. Because <laughs> he's going to die soon. <coughs> he could have said he, said, he could have said, Abiathar, listen, let me tell you what, you ain't heard the half of it. Just have a seat here. I know you're in mourning, but here, let me get you uh, uh, some espresso here, and I'm going to tell you what's happened to me for the last, he didn't do it. He didn't put anything else on that boy. He said, oh, you know what? It's not your fault. It's not your fault. Let me help you out. It's probably my fault. Will you forgive me? Will you let me help you? Let me tell you what. I can't bring him back, but if you stick with me, I'll protect you. Because where I'm going, the Lord's going with us too. And he helps heal that boy. That's a real king, but he's in exile. The real king is one who owns up to his own faults, no matter how ugly it is. And when he does it, you know what he does? He strengthens others. He provides safety for others who are looking to dwell with the real king. And that brings us finally here. My last one, I'm done. We're in spin cycle now, amen. Finally, while in exile, King David, he's leading men that come to him towards the will of Jehovah God. He's leading men not towards his own agenda. but see, that's what the imposter is doing. The imposter has a self Driven agenda. So King David is leading men that come to him towards the will of God while Saul is driving men towards his own evil agenda. And you find that from verse 1 all the way to verse 23. Verse 2 says, And he became a captain over them. You know, as you grow in the Lord and the longer you serve the Lord and are in fellowship with Him, the Lord uh, He'll many times will put people around you that you'll be able to minister to and be able to help out. And I guess the question tonight is, are you the real deal? Or are you just an imposter? I'm not trying to beat you up tonight. I'm just trying to get you to think. You see how Saul was, that it's easy to get in the flesh and act like Saul. But my prayer for everyone here today is maybe just consider the chapter here tonight Saul was an imposter simply in line for destruction while David was the king in exile awaiting to reclaim what was rightfully given to him by God so my prayer for everyone here including myself is while we know this world is not our home amen my prayer is this that we will refuse to play the role of the imposter and be the true and loyal royal sons of God, that the Lord intends for us to be. And may the Lord help you and I, the remainder of this week, to be the real deal, the real deal. I hope you are the real deal the rest of this week. That's my prayer. Once you stand? We'll be dismissed in a word of prayer.